Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. Night two this week. A lot to get to. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always when we do a football podcast by Dave Simone. We've got a uh, not-so-special guest here at the beginning of the show, and then a special guest after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Wait, real funny. Shane is, Shane is very special. I, I agree. Shane is, very, Dave gets it. Shane is very, very special. I will agree with that, Dave. We are joined by our recruiting analyst, Mr. Shane Kinney, and uh, a big couple days for the Bearcats, picking up a commitment on Monday and then another commitment on Wednesday after a, uh, a big recruiting weekend um, with a, a large number of commits on campus to see the, uh, the Marshall game. And uh, first off, Dave and Shane, I'll open this up to you. Is this example A of not to flip out about what happens on the field because kids are doing more than just looking at the results on the field? Shane, go ahead. Go ahead. Go. Okay. Yes, I would say that. Well, you know, you don't want a situation like last year when there's nobody at the game and recruits, hearing fans yell at the coach, and the coach is yelling back. Uh, in the grand scheme of things how the actual game goes I don't think is as huge of a deal. I think maybe it, it just the overall atmosphere I think is more important. You know, when these kids go to the teams that you see is competing with for the players, they're, you know, nine times out of ten going to be in bigger stadiums, be in, in front of bigger crowds and and things like that. So it's important that the atmosphere from the moment they get there till whenever they leave, it feels big time, regardless of the fact that UC lost to Marshall and didn't really play that well. Uh, I think it's more about just, you know, the attention they're shown, having that many recruits there, I think is a big deal. Like I think other, you know, other recruits like to see like, Holy cow, there's, you know, so many of us here, um, and just more stuff like that than them sitting there and watching the game and going, oh, man, the offensive line really stinks, you know, or, you know, something like that. Shane? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you touched on a lot of good points. And I, I think, you know, when talking to most of those guys, the first thing wasn't about the game, which even if it was about the game, I don't think kids sit and watch the game and they're like, wow, you know, they're not, well, they're not that good but they look at it like, well, there's a lot of early playing time for me to come in here, and I think that's the first thing. I think if a prospect's going to say it or not, is a, I think the first thing they look for is if they get on the field um, quickly. And then, you know, the thing was, it, was, it wasn't about the game. It was about, man, look at all the fans that showed up. The atmosphere was electric, you know, pregame. You know, the players were excited. There's a different vibe. And one of one of the guys I talked to was a 29, no, 2018 kid who's been, who was there when Tupperville was there, and came for Fickle, said, man, it was just a difference. He said, he said they actually had kids and people and you know, that in the stands, and the atmosphere was totally different. So I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit about how much we're talking about when it comes to you know, on-the-field performance. And it does carry some bit of a, a little bit of weight. You know, kids would obviously like to go and see Cincinnati win or, or dominate, but it's not as big of a deal as people make it to be. 
So let's get to the uh, the business at hand, Shane. Uh, the, they get a commitment from a young man, um, Jalen Jackson, on, on Monday. He was here on an official visit. Um, we had thought previously that – uh, that they were were done at the second in the secondary, but obviously they felt the need to uh, continue recruiting the position. They brought Jackson in on official. He committed before he headed home. Um, announced it on Monday, and it, a kid that if you look at his tape, he, he's kind of got that the, that ball hawking mentality um, that that you're you're definitely looking for when you're looking for a guy in the secondary. Yeah, he's really impressive, and I think. You know, he's a guy who kind of went under the radar a little bit just because of how loaded the state of Georgia is every every year. And I like, like you said, I like the word ball because he's play he plays everywhere in the secondary. He's playing safety, corner. I know Cincinnati was also to- mentioned to him that he could end up playing nickelback early on because he's such you know just raw, just talented, just with everything he does. And you know, he's fast at six foot, about 187 pounds. His 40 times really really good, and I think he's very similar to Arquan Bush. I think he's a guy who came out of nowhere and he's a gem, I think, for this class. And the secondary and Mark and Coach Martinez and Tentula are, you know, slowly and and, you know, kind of secretly building a really good position group for the twenty eighteen cycle. Tenuta. Tenuta. Can you say that? Tenuta? Tenuta. There you go. This is uh, the same thing we had with Gino. Gadouli. I I still can't spell that one either. You are, I just search it up on Google. I write an article. You are really bad at names, <laughs> dude. I have never said I wasn't. No, I Hawkins it, was a good one too because I said Hawkins. Yeah, Hawkins. You called him that for a while. I, you, we we have like a uh, uh, a lesson plan that I have to go through, and every time a new name comes up, to make sure that that Shane knows how to pronounce the name. Uh, now this one is easy. Ryan Montgomery. Are we, are, that one, that one's pretty easy that, for you. That one is very easy to say, and just like his running style, he's very shifty. Um, I'm really excited about Montgomery. Uh, I really am. He's, um, but it's not even his running style. You know, someone pointed out to me that it's you know him out of the backfield. He, some of the catches he makes on film is is ridiculous. You know, just over the head, you know, one hand, you know, moving while he's catching the ball, making defenders miss. And he's not all there. I don't think his 40 time is, you know, what you'd see, what you'd like to see, or, or a well, guy like Charles McClellan. He ran like a 4.6, but, but that's a laser time. I mean, that's – I don't think people realize how 4.6 is moving at the college level. And then you get him into a strength and conditioning yeah, program. You know, that that's, that's a – I think people discourage, like they they look down at a time like four six because Randy Moss ran a four three or a four two. Well, yeah, Randy Moss is one of the best players in the history of the sport because he was a freak. So four six, no, I still I, think is a pretty good time. And I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But I, but he may. I mean, the speed, yeah, it's there. But would it be you know like a guy like you know Charles McClellan? No, but. His vision is ridiculous at this level, and his, some of the jump cuts that I post on Twitter are ridiculous and really fun to watch. So I think he's. I think this is a really good get for Cincinnati. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the 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 big thing um, when you're looking at some of these guys too, we've talked about Dave the need for special teams. You look at Arquan Bush, you look at uh, Ryan Montgomery, even you look at uh, Jalen Jackson. Those are all guys that that make plays on the special team side of the ball with the ball in their hands and 
they they need an influx of that too because they, they don't have a, a, a game breaker right now uh, on special teams for kick and punt returns. No, and I think that's that's where you're, you know, where your running backs and defensive backs, you know, you're looking for, you know, not necessarily an athlete over someone that has a specific skill set, but you know, it's all the it all kind of folds into one. I I think with Montgomery that he's going to end up being similar to Dokes. I can see him being, you know, putting on that weight, getting up into that 220 range, and you'll have, you know, him and Warren and uh, McClellan that are kind of, you know, all a little bit different from each other. But I can see him being a bigger back because he doesn't have the the blazing speed like we talked about, but he doesn't get caught, so he's he seems to be fast enough. But I, I see him being, you know, a bigger back once he's into college. Yeah, so I can see thing, that as well. Gotcha. But the biggest thing that, that excites me with him is I've mentioned it, you know, once already is his vision. I mean, some of the stuff he was doing on film, and yeah, we can get caught up with you know how many defenders he makes miss, and you know that his speed isn't there, or or that he's a freak athlete. But I mean, the vision was really impressive. I think it's you know out of all the guys I've looked at the running back position, I I think it was really impressive to see you know just you know how elite his vision was already. So they've got 19 commits, Shane. Six more left. Have to think we know one defensive line, one linebacker, one uh, wide receiver, two offensive linemen, and probably an inline tight end. I think that tight end one is kind of a flex if if they find, you know, somebody else. Well, we, that, that, well, that, that position is – maybe a little bit more expendable than the other ones. I think those five in terms of uh, a defensive end, a linebacker, a wide receiver, um, and two offensive linemen, those are set in stone. Well, we have an idea. We can't disclose it. And we, I've mentioned this for the last month or so. We have an idea of the end line guy. And we, that could have an answer sometime rather soon on that. But I think that the biggest thing that surprised me is only two linemen, not trying to go to three, because we previously expected them to take five total, and now we're hearing that they're only going to take two more. So that's a, yeah. I mean, that's a little su- surprising for me, you know, based on I think that's the biggest need in the cycle from the start and still currently. Well, I know they have been very, very, very impressed with um, Colin Woodside and his development and his – the way that he's developing his body. I know they're really happy with him. Obviously, Jeremy Cooper there, um, they were a big fan of. He was their number one target uh, at guard. So I know they've got two guys that they like quite a bit, even if the, uh, the the ratings and the rankings don't show that. I know the staff is very high on both of those guys. Um, they definitely would like to, and will need to add uh, two more coming in. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if we go the uh, – the, the junior college route or how exactly they fill this. Um, but, well, they, get, well they, got, they, got, they got two guys that we've, I think they take right now and Desmond Bland, Juco out of Arizona Western, and, you know, Blaine Scott. I mean, those are two guys I think, you know, if they wanted to commit tomorrow, they take commitments from them. But, you know, the biggest those, thing those is – Those are also two guys a lot of people would take right now. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. West, you know, I think West Virginia is the team to beat for Blaine Scott, and I think – you know, we've known that for a little bit now. 
what the biggest thing is when Cincinnati gets to my campus, you know, will they roll out the red carpet? We'll just have to see. And then with Bland, you know, I mean, he's got big time offers. His top five is like, I don't know his exact top five escape me right now, but I know teams like Louisville and UCF are squarely in the mix there along with Cincinnati. So, and then you got the, you got a guy in Nick Oates who's, who's there and there should be some updates, you know, sometime in the future about that situation. Yeah. All right, man. It's going to be another busy weekend uh, on the recruiting side with guys coming in for the Central Florida game. Uh, you did a good job covering it this week. I'm sure, you know, Dave, what happened was Shane had been complaining for like two months because he didn't have much work to do. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he was complaining because he had too much work after the Marshall game. I mean, well, no, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. I'm kind of disappointed that I got like, what, like five or six reaction pieces and there were over 300 recruits there? Like, what kind of percentage Don't is that? Don't want me to joke that out. That there's going to be 320 updates. And no. Now, hold on. I mean, I'm not looking for 100%, but I mean, like, you 130 know, would have been fine. There was Can you at least get like a, a passing grade? A bunch of notes. And then, hold on, Chad doesn't realize that I drove all the way down from Toledo, and then I got back at 3 a.m., woke up at 10. That's had to a coach you football problem. Game, and then was then had to do all that with, like, seven hours of sleep underneath my belt. And, oh, oh, geez. my God. That's a you problem. <laughs> so that's sad. Not a, that's, that's not a me problem. That's not a Dave problem. That's a Shane problem. And then on top of that, we had this kid named Jalen Jackson. <laughs> just all of a sudden commit, so I have to wrench into things. So all things considering, I think I did a very good job. And, you know, Chad, it is good to be back on the podcast after, what, two months not being on? Hmm. You, you, did yeah, do, you, you did do a wonderful you, job, Shane. I enjoyed reading all of your recruiting updates. Shane, next time I'm going to need you to go through my producer. Shane invited himself on the podcast, Dave. Uh, you, Dave is the producer of the show. I'm going to need you to go through the producer next time. So after after I was like I was after like hey Chad uh, podcast tonight we just got two commits he's like uh, I don't know I don't know like you know we got this one guy coming on Tony Pike you know I think he's bigger than you not true I think I'm bigger than Tony Pike both physically and you know you know well, as a, as a rep that on wise. and then, make a poll <laughs> yeah so, I think you need to go then, to bed good night Shane it's been it's been fun talking to you. Good night, Shane. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. That's enough. Thanks again. Shane Kenny, recruiting coordinator, recruiting analyst here for BearcatJournal.com. We are joined now by none other than the man himself, former Bearcat great, the one and only Tony Pike. Tony, welcome in. What's going on? I appreciate that. Uh, you got a Bearcat great in there. That's got a – nobody else. Yeah. Mo Egger doesn't introduce you like that. He get, he insults you. No, that's, that's quite the honor there. <laughs> this is already going well. It, it is, and I, I had to give you a hard time. You, you made a, a, your debut on the Bearcat Journal Snapchat the other day. Uh, you were out there with the 2007 team, and uh, you were a big contri- contributor for that bunch, weren't you? Huge. Huge. I was able to give the defense some excellent looks uh, on my scout team days. It was funny, me, and, me and Craig Carey, uh, who was a quarterback at the time as well, we were both scout team quarterbacks, and uh, Coach Balduzzi, who's now at Pitt, would have 
Thursday practices where he would want us to throw interceptions on purpose. And if we didn't throw interceptions, uh, we would have to run up the stairs and come back down. So it got to a point where Craig and I just started throwing an interception and taking off. <laughs> and we timed it up just about right. So as I was coming down the stairs, Craig was throwing and then heading up the stairs. So we still got to complete some passes as well. I, I bet you two didn't have any fun at all in your younger days, you and Craig Carey. No, no, not at all. You know, we were all business down there, especially especially when you're when you're running the scout team. And and at the time, uh, they they would actually have the scout team go live in some situations. So when you got the scout team offensive line, and then you pair them up against at the time, you know, Trent Cole, Mike Wright, Terrell um, Bird, Taiwan Taiwan Hagler. But guys like that, it was really fun because when you had to repeat a play and then they were you were live, uh, they would be kind of upset and then they would come in and, and take some nice, nice, nice shots on us. That sounds bad for your health. It was, it was, and and we spoke at the games. He's like, the team was back, and Haruki Nakamura, which you know, to many and me was even watching him when he was at St. Ed's. I don't think I've ever seen a player quite like him, but you know through all the molding and, and the great looks that I gave him through scout team when we both made it to the NFL, I was a little disappointed in him in the preseason. Uh, he did sack and he went at my ankles. You know, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was 260. He went low on me. I thought, you know, I deserved, you know, at least a, a chest shot or, or a shot on the hips. He went low. He knew that was my kryptonite. He brought me down. Uh, and, and probably ultimately, you know, on top of the, the elbow injury, ended my career early. You probably hurt your elbow on that play, didn't you? Yep, I, I probably, well, when I was at UC, I practiced how to fall on my left arm because of breaking it twice. So I, I never really got the the uh, the understanding of how to correctly fall on my right arm. And that's probably where the elbow pain started. Hey, I, I think it's probably all Haruki's fault. It's funny, I had um, Shane that was just on with us, is our, our guy that does recruiting, is from up in Toledo, so he's not a, a great Bearcat historian. And Haruki was standing there, and he's like, what? Is everybody going nuts about that dude for? He's tiny. And I'm like, yeah, yep. yeah, he's little and doesn't look like he'd be in the NFL, but he's like a 43rd degree black belt, and he'd whip your ass right now if you told him that. <laughs> exactly. I always tell people, I mean, pound for pound, I mean, you get the guys that are obviously just physical freak athletes, the 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and 260 pounds and can run, but pound for pound, you know, Haruki was, was the best guy that I ever played with, and, and his instincts and, and his knowledge of the game and um, you know, we were talking during the game of how, how much the game has changed now and, and how he probably wouldn't have made it as far as he did because of how the hits are, are judged now and what's legal and what's not legal because he made he made his living being aggressive uh, safety that can, would come down and stop the run and, and would make you pay as a receiver for coming across the middle. And, and so many times nowadays you see that flag and you see the suspensions and, and all that. So it, it's, the game has changed in just a, a short amount of time here. One more question before we get into talking about this Cincinnati football team. I ask a lot of the guys from that era that come on to this podcast, who was the better drinker, Connor Barwin or Jason Kelsey? Oh, I've, I've got to go Jason Kelsey. That's, that seems to be the you consensus. Know, I've heard Barwin is legendary, yep. but everybody goes with Kelsey. Barwin is legendary, but I think if you go, you know, over the long term, you've got to go Kelsey. You know, Barwin, Barwin, he was hit and miss sometimes, you know, as far as going out and, and having a few. But, but Jason Kelsey, as you could probably see by uh, the mountain man physique that he's grown into, does not have a problem having a couple of drinks and enjoying himself. 
That that seems to be the consensus. Apparently, they used to play a drinking game that, that Kelsey was undefeated in. So I, I think on the basis of that, you'd probably have to go with Kelsey. So uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, absolutely. We'll get to this team now, Dave. You got anything for Tony to start this thing off about the uh, the 2017 Bearcats? Yeah, I think the thing that you know is has jumped out the most in the first five games and has started to get talked about is just the slow start and the complete lack of being able to run the ball at the beginning of the game. From your vantage point, the things that you've seen, what do you think are the main contributors to both of those? Well, the first thing, I, I, I think the, the group that, that Coach Fickle and his staff have right now still, you know, at, at different times, they fall back into this law that we saw in the last couple of years. And, um you know, if you watch pregame and you watch how these coaches coach, it's a complete 180 intensity-wise. And sometimes I just don't know if the, the guys understand or maybe they get a little bit too excited right now player-wise. Um, but, but when you look at the slow starts, um, to me a lot of it falls on the offensive side because, you know, barring the, the Navy game, you know, Michigan, the defense held their own. They you know, they, they, we gave up two pick sixes on offense. The defense had some third and fourth down stops uh, against a Big Ten powerhouse running team. So I think the defense has been there for the most part. Navy, you go into that game, and no matter who they're playing, you're going to give up 350 yards rushing probably. I know we gave up a lot more, but um, Marshall, I think, was just a letdown on both sides. Offensively, um, the ability to not be able to run the ball, I think, is, is the main concern right now. And Mike Boone has been a guy that, has been in and out of health issues. When he's healthy, he, he's, he's just a specimen. He's a special player. Uh, but you look at the first few games, and, and they didn't really make a concerted effort to get him the ball early. Uh, and I, I think that goes along with wanting to try to get Hayden more comfortable because we've seen when, when Hayden loses his confidence, he starts to struggle a little bit and, and stares down from the receivers. So I think Coach Denbrock and the offense want, want to get Hayden comfortable so that the defenses can't continue to load the box now. What you see now and what Marshall picked up on are receiving cores having a hard time beat one-on-one coverage. So defenses are able to put seven or eight in the box and go one-on-one on the outside. If you can't beat the jam, you're not going to be able to run the ball and you're not going to have time to throw the ball. And I think those things all contribute uh, to what seems like a lot of slow starts and, and, and a struggle getting the running game going, no doubt. Tony, that's something that, that we talked about a lot at Camp Higher Ground. Um, talent-wise in the wide receiver group, is it just a matter of they, they don't have it yet, or is it just some young guys that don't have the experience? Uh, you know, we, we've seen, you know, J.J. Pickney got deep in the Navy game. Uh, we've seen some guys flash some ability. Uh, the, the, the freshman, Javon Halls, had some success late in the Marshall game, but is it, a, is it a talent overall issue, or is it you've got a lot of young guys that don't have the experience and your veterans uh, Khalil Lewis and Devin Gray aren't exactly guys that are just going to, you know, run go routes and take the top off the defense. Well, you see, you've seen in, in Devin Gray and Khalil Lewis both this year some chances and some deep balls that they drop. So the drops have definitely been a problem. But talking to a couple different coaches when they first got in, when they were evaluating the talent, uh, you know, they would go through and they'd say, you know, this guy can be shaved, this guy can be a good player for us. And then when they went back and looked at the roster, those were seniors. So uh, they, they just lacked, um, and, and a lot of it I think is based on the last coaching staff, they, they lacked the 
the general understanding of, you know, how to properly get off a jam, how to get off a bump and run, how to get into your route a little bit quicker, uh, where the routes need to be ran at. And then when you bring in a new coaching staff, all of a sudden the curl route might go from 13 yards to 11 yards or something like that. And it may seem like nothing, but timing-wise, that's a big change. So I think it's just the, the way that the offense looked the last couple of years um, and then how these receivers were taught compared to how they're being taught now. I think that's why you see, you know, Javon Hall is make a touchdown catch against Marshall. These other younger receivers and younger running backs making some plays because I think you can really see what this coaching staff can do when they mold the players how they want to mold them. Uh, right now you're, you're fighting molding new players and then trying to break the mold of these uh, older, you know, juniors and seniors on the team. So it's an uphill battle for the coaching staff right now, but, but no doubt the, the promise that the youngsters are showing, I think, help out a lot. You mentioned the two running backs. You, you've got to be, if you're Coach Fickle, thrilled that you've got Jared Dokes and Michael Warren in the fold for the, this year and another three years after that. Well, yeah, we, we spoke before the game the other night with all the recruits there. If you're a running back, I don't know, you know, I don't know why you're in Cincinnati right now because those two should have their, their back in a lockdown for the next couple of years. And what they're doing right now, their freshman years, uh, not only running the ball, but out of the backfield making plays, picking up blitzes. And these are guys now that are getting some meaningful snaps and some meaningful games. They got in a little bit against Michigan. Uh, you're in against Navy, and a rivalry game against Miami of Ohio. Now you come back to, to out of conference with Marshall. So depending on Mike Boone's status going forward, they're going to continue to see a, an upload in work, and that's just going to be better and sweeten the pot as, as we get into Coach Fickle's second and third year uh, moving on with those guys. You were around for the rise of Isaiah P. Do you do you see that type of talent? You know, not maybe not the same type of player, but maybe that type of talent in those guys. Yeah, not not the same type of, of player. Um, when you look at, at what they bring to the table, but the talent level is definitely there because they're kind of, like I said, if you're a running back, especially young, and you can make plays in the passing game and the running game, you're already ahead up on a lot of guys because you just don't see that that dual threat level a lot. Uh, coming out of high school, so you got you, you're up a level on that, and then you just see their vision, you see their power. You don't see them running out of bounds at the end of plays. You see them lower their shoulder, deliver a stiff arm, and finish plays. And I think when you watch Isaiah P, he always finished the play. He's always falling forward, makes great plays out of backfield. And those are great attributes to have for a running back. Tony, one of the things that the recruits talked about after that, that reacted to being at the Marshall game was that they saw a coaching staff that didn't quit. Now, you know, I, you're very strict on where I'm allowed to go, and you, you do a nice job keeping me back behind the white line that you're allowed into <laughs> into the coach's box. Is that something that you see, yep. that, that this staff is, is not a staff that gets frustrated or, or starts screaming and losing their mind or, or maybe gets, you know, a little down on themselves? These guys continue to coach, and that's maybe why the team continues to fight in the second half like they have. Yeah, and, and I would say, barring the, the Marshall game, you know, seeing, you know, if you go back to the last couple of years at Michigan, when you go down two scores early against Michigan on the road, I don't think this team claws back in the last couple of years like they did this year. I think you see that there. Obviously, the Miami of Ohio game not quitting. The Navy game continued to fight back. Marshall got away from a little bit, and I think that's just a little bit of a letdown of the three road games. Things got away from you with some cost and penalties. But when you watch this coaching staff, Every time these guys come off the field, they're coaching. And, and they're not shy about jumping down a, a player who needs to, to pick up their level and pick up their play. Uh, so they get on the players, but also when the players make a good play, they're celebrating. 
Uh, they have high energy, uh, high intensity. But the biggest thing for me, you know, Coach Fickle at halftime last week told the guy, he said, if I see anyone quit on the field, uh, they're not giving 110%, I'm pulling you out and I'm sending you up to the locker room. You're done playing. You're not, you're not going to stay on the sidelines. I'm sending you up to the locker room, and then we can discuss things later. So he's making it more of a culture that no matter what's on the scoreboard, you're going to continue to play. And I think with the Miami of Ohio game is a great point because a lot of teams give up when, when you're under five minutes and, and facing that kind of deficit. This team continues to fight. Uh, they hang their hat on that, that they're going to play hard, they're going to play fast, and they're going to continue to push through the other game. This is another thing that I've been curious about. How hard is it to change a culture? And is it something that maybe is so difficult that some other things are a little bit slower to follow behind, like the consistency, like how they start early in games? Because it's been so important to get these guys to a level where they are competing consistently. They are, you know, fighting for 60 minutes and changing that mentality. How much effort does that take and how much could it maybe in the beginning It'd be a little bit of a detriment to some of the other parts. Oh, it's huge. I, and I think, you know, I don't, I don't even think the coaching staff understood when they first took over here, you know, what they had to crawl out of and, and how this team reacted and played last year. And we saw going up to, to Camp Highground with preseason camp, just how you watch, I mean, the music blowing. Uh, they started every practice off with a high-intensity drill, something to kind of wake you up and get you going. And then the fast-paced movement throughout practice, that continued the pregame. You went to pregame last year. The locker room was quiet. The guys were quiet. Now they got music blaring. They're talking to each other. They're pumped up. Same thing at halftime. They'll play some music. They'll come in. Uh, there's a lot of communication, not just um, in the locker room, but on the sidelines, in between series. And when you're trying to break a culture of stuff that didn't happen the last couple of years, little stuff like that gets lost. So, you know, you might have to, to reteach a team how to warm up properly before a game. And you might teach that's a retake, how to win to see him after halftime. Stuff that you think guys would already understand, but it does. It, it takes a while to understand that. And then you add in new offense, new defense, adjustments, and things like that with new coordinators. It's going to take a little bit of time, and, and, and you're going to go through some growing pains. But, but no doubt being around the program and watching where this team at, team's at is, is light years ahead of where they were. Dave, you got anything? Dave? David, you still there? Dave might be taking a nap. <laughs> Defensively, um, what are you looking at at this team? We've seen some good. We've seen some bad. It seems like at least defensively there was some talent left behind, uh, especially you know guys like Cortez Broughton and Marquise Copeland who have been very good, um, uh, Jalen Miner and Perry Young who have been very good. Uh, what do you see looking at this defense? I think Jalen Miner, to me, has been the, the player on defense so far. He's, to me, he's been great. He he's flies around. He makes plays down the field. He makes them in the backfield at the line of scrimmage. And they, they just have holes in, in spots that you don't want to have holes. Obviously, the secondary is not completely solid. Uh, the defensive line is one of their strengths. And then, obviously, Jalen Miner and Perry Young, uh, their problem has come against uh, when you look at more athletic teams and, and teams that put you in one-on-one matchups, like a Navy, where you got – you got to have a guy on the dive, you got to have a guy on the quarterback, and you got to have a guy on the pitch pad. Everyone has to do their job. Marshall, their game plan was to try to get the ball into their athlete, athlete's hands, one-on-one situations, because when you're game tackling, like against Michigan, uh, you have a lot more success. But when you see more athletes on the field, um, and Marshall, 
give them credit. Marshall played really well. Marshall wasn't the strongest team up front, uh, but when you have trouble getting a team in the third long situation and they stay on the clock with second, third, short, you're able to open up the playbook and you know, to put some situations together um, where they were able to kind of dictate what they wanted to do and get those one-on-one matchups. So I think defensively, uh, you, you still have a couple holes that you want to fill. You still have a couple guys uh, that you'll be plugging in the next couple of years, but but the future's definitely bright on that side of the ball. Let's see if we can get Dave back in here real quick. Um, let's have some fun. Uh, well, one one more thing. Overall, your take is you feel that this thing's headed in the right direction. You, you feel like oh, yeah, absolutely. Dave, welcome What's back. That? Dave, welcome yeah. back. <laughs> but but you feel like this thing's headed in the right direction, and this coaching staff is the right staff uh, to get things back to where we expect them to be. Yeah, I do. I, I think overall, right now, it's it, you look at both sides of the ball. And it's you, this is a team that still needs to to have that shot of of confidence, and and you hope they can find that maybe a game like UCF, uh, or top twenty five teams coming in, you'll have a chance to get South Florida, but. They need that signature win and that signature moment to give these guys the confidence, especially to me, a guy like Hayden Moore, who um, has his ups and downs, but really seems like he's straightening a little bit confidence-wise and, and getting things going. So for me, you know, no doubt that this team's in a good place and this program's going to be in a really good place for the foreseeable future with this staff and what they've done recruiting-wise. All right, let's have some fun. Let's, take, let, let's, let's talk the thing that everybody wants to talk about with Tony Pike. Pittsburgh, yeah, 2000, Pittsburgh, 2009. How frustrating was the beginning of that game? And was what was it like when Marty ran that kickback and all of a sudden it seemed like everybody went from having their head down to we, we're going to win this game? Man, the, the, the first half was, was miserable. I mean, I – I don't think I could, I couldn't have got to the sidelines and on the heated bench any quicker in the first half. <laughs> I mean, I, I was it. Nothing was going right. You know, it it seemed like the wind was in our face every possession we had. The snow, um, the the sloppy turns at Heinz Field, um, but that that was a group of guys without a doubt that um, that never gave up on each other, and they, we just had that confidence of, okay, we're all right, we can do this. And as soon as Marty took that kick back. You know, it was it was like guys. You weren't really saying anything, but looking at each other on the sideline, I was like, okay, we're good. We'll get this thing right. And, and for Marty to do that right before the half, was that jolt of confidence and that jolt of energy. Uh, sometimes in a game like that, that you need to have. And, and from then, you know, we we were able to get the ball rolling and, and make some plays there in the second half. Dave, you got any questions for Tony about that pit game? I have one that is kind of around the pit game. So, obviously, we all know that UC won that game undefeated, you know, in the top four at the time. Did you guys watch the Nebraska-Texas game thinking, like, and understanding that if somehow Nebraska won, you were probably going to the national championship? And then when yeah, they... Colt McCoy, you know, and Dominican Sue pressures him and – McCoy throws the ball out of bounds. Everyone's probably thinking, holy crap, time just expired. Then they put a second back on. The guy kicks the field goal. Like, what was that whole situation like? Well, on the, we bust to Pittsburgh that year. So we had, we had gotten showered up and we had gotten on the buses and we actually got the last couple minutes of the game. So 
if, if you can imagine a, you know, a team probably going to be number three in the country or number three in the country, just won the Big East, New England, our, our second straight BCS game. Obviously, we're, we're already amped up and we're already excited. And then you see the ball go out of bounds and time run off the clock. Uh, we went crazy. I mean, the, I, I couldn't even explain the scene on the bus because at the time we're thinking, okay, we're playing in the national championship game. Um, and then to see the time go back on the clock and not just then make the field goal, but they made the field goal. It seemed like it, it crossed the, the bar by about a foot maybe. I mean, they squeaked it in. Um, obviously, it was hard because you're fighting the excitement of just winning that game and then coming off the high of thinking you're going to be in the national championship, um, which I think you know changes a, a lot of, of what goes on at UC because I don't think Brian Kelly at the time can, can leave a national championship game to go to Notre Dame. So it kind of probably changed the, the course of fate uh, for UC football going forward. All right, let's go back to the game because I, 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 I want to know this. When the play is called, Pike to Benz, and somebody had a great idea, Tony. You need to make this happen. Somebody said they should put in, out in front of the Linder Center, they should put a statue of Tony Pike, and then the, <laughs> the, the appropriate distance away on the other side, they should put a statue of Armand Benz, like you in your throwing motion, and then Benz catching the touchdown. And I think that would be phenomenal. Look, I'm all in on that. That any, anything down there would would be amazing, obviously. But you know, for 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 the play itself, it, it wasn't even a a go route that was called to Armand at the time. It was um, it was a three by one set. We were reading the three by one side, and and a lot of people remember Marty Gilliard on that team and, and what he did. Armand Benz throughout the second half of the year, as far as a possession receiver and a, and a guy you just knew where he was going to be. He became that for us, and, and, and a lot of times he was our go-to in certain situations. So Marty obviously had a great game, had the kickoff return, um, had some things with that. So the defense naturally started to slide to him in the second half. So when that play was called, it was looking for Marty uh, kind of on a three-by-one set down the seam. The safety in the middle of the field started shading over to Marty, so I just signaled out to our bond, changed the protection, and gave him a, a fade signal. And, and for, from then, it was pretty easy. You know, the first step, look off the safety to the left, snap the head back, and, and really you knew Armand was going to win the one-on-one battle. I was able to put him in a good spot, and then he goes up and makes the catch, and and, uh, and obviously history's made after that. And people – and I was standing right next to the, the box. Again, you uh, we didn't know each other at the time, so you weren't able to keep me out of the box. Uh, but I, I, obeyed, I, I, obeyed, I obeyed the rules. What people don't really remember, because I think the fans were so elated, everybody kind of equates that play to the end of the game, but it wasn't because Pitt had time and had an opportunity, uh, and you guys only had a one-point lead. Did that – what was it, 30, 24, 20, 17 seconds or whatever it was? Did that feel like three hours standing there on the sideline waiting to, to find out what was going to happen? Well, one just that we had, obviously Pitt had missed the extra point yeah. before that. We had we had missed a field goal early on in the game, so you go from that excitement to like, oh, you know, please make a field goal here, please finish off the field goal, and then there's it did it, it seemed like there was still a whole quarter left on the clock. Um, so to go from that, I think we got a sack early on. They started to scramble around. Then you pretty much knew at that time, you know, they had one more shot at it. But man, once I. There was no greater feeling in my college career than, you know, when the time was going down and then we realized what we had just done 
a back-to-back Big East championship team, uh, and then to celebrate, you know, on Pittsburgh's field with all of our fans who, for the most part of the game, were probably cussing me out and wondering <laughs> why I was still in the game. <laughs> but uh, but to have them there, you know, obviously my family made the trip, and, and to be able to celebrate a time like that and in a situation like that is, is something pretty special. Did you hear Sweet Caroline at the beginning of the fourth quarter? And when you hear that now, do oh, you associate that with, with that game like me? Yep, at the beginning, that was – I don't think I don't think I've ever heard a song being sung louder in my life at the time than what Sweet Caroline was ringing through that stadium. Those which at the time, were so happy. Lost, oh, if, if we had lost that game, I would I would never be able to listen to that song. <laughs> I would have to, if I was at, if I was at a bar and that song came on, I don't care what was, I would have to leave immediately. But now it has turned into one of my favorite songs <laughs> uh, because you do you you associate that with going into that fourth quarter. You remember that song being played and and how loud that was, and, and how all those fans, you know, really didn't get to enjoy much of that fourth quarter. Yeah, that was, and especially with the hate that there is between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Yes. Seeing them yep. be miserable in that fourth quarter, knowing their fate, was was beautiful. Now, uh, yeah, you know, I, I was I, I hated to see it. <laughs> A tougher question. Let, let's go to the banquet. What was, yeah. What was that scene? Because I can only imagine that was a wild deal. As you're, you know, guys' phones are going off with ESPN breaking the story, and PK's right yep. there in front of you guys. What what was that like for all of you guys being in that situation? It had to be crazy. It was it, it was tough because our team was built on buying in and family and trust, and, and that's what the coaches have preached from the time they got there. That's where, where a lot of our success came from. You know, we. We cared about each player and each coach on that team, and, and we bought into the system, and we bought into to that style of play. Um, I remember leading up to the banquet, we, we were practicing, and, you know, I other people had said stuff. I, I had approached Coach Kelly and said, hey, there's a lot of rumors going on, and, you know, I don't know the exact words, but he said, you know, I could, I could play for a national championship here in Cincinnati while I don't want to go anywhere else. So you thought, you know, that, that he was going to stay, but – the way the banquet was set up, it, it was tough in a way that the news broke, obviously, before our banquet started. Um, so as the banquet was going on, and Coach Kelly's up there talking, most of the guys already knew what had happened. So uh, there was so much that, that happened from that point on. And then after the banquet ended, you know, we were brought into a room, and it was really about 45 seconds to a minute of Coach Kelly talking, and then he left. And and for a lot of guys, and I don't know about everyone, but that was the last time I'd heard from Coach Kelly. You know, you didn't hear leading up to the game, or you didn't hear anything at the, you know, going into the bowl or going into the NFL draft. So that was the, the, really the last image that I have of Coach Kelly. And I, I was lucky enough to have people around to say, hey, relax, don't say anything you're going to regret. Because as soon as you walk out and all the news cameras are on, you're, you're obviously pissed and, and you're upset because, like I said, you we all bought in together for that team, and we all – went on this ride together and, and to, know, to, to know that you were going to go play Florida in the Sugar Bowl uh, and, and you weren't going to have your head coach, obviously was going to make the pass that much, uh, that much harder. Dave, anything? No, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about the the sugar ball. So we can we can, <laughs> we can I can skip that. There. Tony doesn't yeah. want to talk about the Appreciate sugar bowl that. either. <laughs> I don't remember much of it. I yeah. remember Carlos Dunlop, you know, coming off the edge. And after that, you know, 
I don't, I don't remember much. <laughs> now, was there really? Blame... Go ahead. I'm just going to, I'm going to blame head injuries for that. <laughs> was there really a meeting uh, between you and Coach Kelly where he told you, hey, it's time to kind of either make this happen or move on? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it wasn't really to make this happen. Thing. It was like, hey, you know, if things aren't going to change, if things don't change, and this is where we're at, you know, we'll want to just tell it's probably not going to be playing football. So, I think at the time I was like six string on the depth chart, and um, you know, I, really, I, I always thought I performed well at camp, but you know, at the time I, I, I guess I was viewed as, as more of a pocket passer, which I was, but you know, I, I thought that I was athletic enough to make plays with my feet and, and move around. But as soon as I, you know, had the chance to do that and, and got some reps after that conversation with Coach Kelly, I think they started to understand that. And I think that I was able to, to at least show them enough through camp that you know, I, I was able to sit there as number two in the depth chart. And then, you know, you know obviously the unfortunate injury of Dustin Grutza, you know, gives me a chance to go in and play. How much crap do you take from Mo Egger? And do you ever want to just smack him? Oh, yeah. He, he, you know, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't mind giving me some crap. But I think the, the thing about, you know, the, the radio stuff that I do with Mo is that I'm not afraid to give it back to him. So I think that's why we work pretty well together is that I'm very open to taking criticism and, and to being kind of poked a little bit. But when that happens and you, and you kind of poke the bear, I'm, I'm going to attack back. And, and I think that took, took Mo off guard the first couple of times. But, <laughs> but I think he understands now that, that what he gives out, I'm going to go ahead and, and return and, and reciprocate a little bit. Now you, uh, but, you, you, can, you can promote your podcast too if you would like. On Mondays – Tony is on yeah. with uh, with Mo Egger on 1530 uh, yeah. every Monday from 3 to 6. And then you've also got a podcast with uh, – I, I have a, po- a basketball podcast with Richard Skinner. You are brave yeah. enough to do a podcast with both Richard Skinner and Tom Gamble, where, as you said, it's basically just you taking a nap for an hour. Yeah, well, it's called two it's, – it's called the Angry Quarterbacks. So they I, don't, I they're not they quarterbacks. Had to, well, they had, to, they had to bring me on because they're both angry a lot. So, you know, I'm the, I'm the quarterback aspect of the show. But, no, it's, it's fun because Tom, Tom Gamble does such a good job with high school sports that, that he's able to do the high school segment. We also cover college and we cover NFL. So we kind of do it in three segments, which we cover all three. Um, so, yeah, during, during football uh, with, with Mo on Mondays and, and the podcast, and then I, I'm doing a, a show with Fox Sports Ohio on Thursday nights called Tri-State Tailgate. That's actually, they were brave enough to put me in front of a camera <laughs> behind the cell phone and, and the microphone on that. I got to, you know, get out there and, and show my face a little bit. But football stays fun. It stays busy for me. And, and obviously doing the sideline stuff for UC, I, I enjoy. But, but you know, you, you mentioned, though, it's funny. There was a time I almost was not able to play football my senior year because Mo Agger decided to make Pike for Heisman T-shirts. <laughs> I remember. And apparently, he almost cost you your eligibility. Yeah, apparently if you profit off of a player, um, you're not able to do that. So uh, I guess the UC compliance told Mo, like, hey, uh, I don't know if you know, but Tony's going to be ineligible if you keep selling these shirts. Uh, the next day, Mo got a letter from actually the Heisman Committee, a cease and desist letter, that he's <laughs> no longer allowed to sell those. So he signed the letter, of course, and, and, you know, thanks to Mo, I was able to play going forward but uh he's starting he's starting a new campaign he said he he wants he said he wants me up in the ring of honor so he hey i, I told him this campaign i can get behind i can go with i couldn't really do much with the heisman thing although he you know he could have 
kept a couple shirts aside for me and my family. Well, we can help you there. If you're a, if you're a listener of this podcast, email the UC Athletic Administration and let them know <laughs> you want Tony Pike in the Ring of Honor. There you go. There you go. But now, UC, UC for me was always, I mean, I grew up, I grew up going to UC. My grandpa had season tickets, and, and back then, you know, when you when you got season tickets for or to get season tickets for basketball, you had to get football ones. So at the time, no one would want to go, so I could go. I went to every UC game growing up, and, and it was it was fun for me to be able to to be a part of of a piece of history in UC that that turned that program around and and got us going to to where we where we were, and, and obviously where Coach Sickle and the staff wants us to get back to. How cool has it been having Geno back around? Oh, it's great. It's to me. I, I give I give Gino a hard time sometimes because I was I was a gray shirt on the Fort Worth Bowl team uh, when we went down to Fort Worth, Texas, and for some reason it was like 30 degrees at game time. Awful, miserable. And I was like a gray shirt, six six, hundred and sixty pound freshman at the time, and uh, and Gino for whatever reason, and like the third quarter came over and bullied me for my hand warmer. <laughs> I, guess we, we, I guess we didn't talk as a staff in that game for us because we were going to Texas. This broke. Well, that's who he did. This little gray shirt that, that damn near froze on the sideline of Fort Worth, Texas, watching the, uh, the Fort Worth ball. But, no, Gino, Gino to me, he, he was a guy at Central Michigan where I'm doing some quarterback stuff and I train quarterbacks now that I would send him a guy and say, hey, just give me your honest opinion. Is this guy a D1 guy? Was this a D2 guy? Can he play at the next level? And, and Gino was always really honest and, and, uh, and helpful with that. And now having him back in Cincinnati, I think, is just going to kind of help not only this team, but the recruiting here in Cincinnati explode. All right, man. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. We, uh, you know all the ways you can find Tony. It was great to have you on and, and reminisce on some of that stuff. I know some of those stories the fans are going to love to hear from your perspective. So thanks a lot, man. And uh, I will see you on Saturday when you yell at me every time I step yep. over the white line. Can't wait, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. No problem. Thanks, Tony. That's Tony Pike, former Cincinnati great at the quarterback position. And uh, Dave, awesome to have him on. And the stuff, the the, the memories that he gave UC fans over those two BCS Bowls will will live on in Cincinnati football history forever. Oh, absolutely. I don't think, you know, it's – it's tough for anybody who's really followed the program for an extended period of time to have ever imagined in, you know, today's age of facilities and TV contracts and things like that, that UC would have done what they did two years in a row. And I, and I think it's still, you know, still possible. Uh, the league situation might be a, a big hindrance to that, but you get the right coaching staff together, you get the right guys together. You know, I think it's totally doable. We're seeing, you know, some some teams that are in UC's league putting together strong teams and strong seasons. So you know, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that it, it can definitely happen again. Speaking of, let's hit, uh, we're not going to do a, an extended period on this because we've kind of done in a, a full podcast almost, but uh, a few minutes. Central Florida, obviously, uh, they're, they're ranked in the top 25. Scott Frost has done a great job auditioning for the Nebraska job next year uh, and what he is able to, to do with that program. Um, it, it, it's going to be a tough one, I think. And, yeah, they're, they're really good. They're, 
offensively, they've they've taken another step. Mackenzie Milton, their quarterback, has had a really really good. And it's only three games for them because of the uh, hurricane issues, but he's had a really good start. He's a it's weird watching him play. You wouldn't say dual threat, but he definitely is. I mean, they run him. I think they ran for 350, almost 400 yards last week against a good Memphis team where they just kicked the crap out of them from the get-go. Uh, I think it ended up being 40-7. to seven. They've got a couple uh, real, real speed running backs, one Adrian Killing. Uh, I think he had a 96-yard touchdown run. I, I just think it's uh, – you know, they have the returning conference defensive player of the year. I, it's just not a good matchup for UC right now with with where they are offensively. Because uh, Central Florida is going to score. And if UC can't figure out how to not, you know, be in third and long right away and have multiple, you know, three and out drives, I mean, I know we've probably and everyone's hashed out everything from the Marshall game, but at halftime I still remember looking up at the scoreboard and going, "We had the ball for five minutes." Yeah. Like, and oh, they only had the ball longer than five minutes because their drive that ended in the missed field goal was like a minute or two minutes. Right. And so I mean, like, it was. Lance McAllister posed the question at halftime that. I, I thought was pretty telling. He said, who was on the field longer, the UC band or the UC offense? Oh, the, the band was and, on uh, the field the, twice as long. Yeah, the answer was the band, and that's not a good answer. I mean, you, you know, you see lopsided time of possessions, but I don't think I've ever seen one like that, where it was literally 25 minutes to five minutes. Um, yeah. Nothing like that can happen this week for them to stand any any chance and obviously they're you know we don't know the situations but there's a you know there's a chance Cleo Lewis might not play there's a chance Brian Wright might not play just based off of what we saw in the Marshall game so I mean you're down you know and and so it's just to me it's not a good good situation and you know I know the and I I don't like doing this because you know, I don't think it's fair, but you struggle and, you know, the, the go-to default thing is to blame Coach Tuberville. And while, you know, whatever happened last year wasn't good, I try not to just use that as an excuse. I mean, this is this year, this is the 2017 team. It's up to them to figure out, you know, what's going on, what works, what doesn't, make adjustments, things like that. And hopefully the Marshall game was just a, you know, an instance where they just didn't have it. And, you know, blaming Coach Tuberville or not, I, I think it is pretty clear that just the overall talent level on the team is is lacking. Um, you know, we've ta- you and I have talked about offensive line having issues, and the guys are great and they're playing hard. But the reality is, is we have three walk-ons starting, whether they've earned a scholarship you know, at some point in their career or not. I mean, your center and both guards are walk are walk ons. You know, you look at the recruiting from the four years of Coach Tuberville being there and we can just look at the offensive line because that seems to be 
the main issue right now in why they can't run the ball in the slow starts. And the main issue that our fans want to talk about when it comes to recruiting is, you know, because they see that they want to add more players. And, you know, we've added in those four years of Coach Tuberville, you know, roughly 15, 16 guys in those positions that count at, you know, on signing day type players. So we're not counting walk-ons. And there's really only a handful, maybe five at the most, that are either still on the team or are contributors on any level. I mean, we're not even talking starters or multi-year starters, just guys that play. So, you know, that's the reality of what the coaching staff is dealing with. You know, so, you know, when people say, well, they should do this or they should do that, I probably imagine that they would like to, you know, Hayden Moore's struggling. I think they would like to call different plays for him, possibly, but either the line can't protect long enough, or they're in down in distances where those plays don't work, or the wide receivers aren't getting open. So I think it's just a, the totality of it is, you know, they're still probably the team that you and I talked about them being is, you know, somewhere in that five and seven, six and six, seven and five range, just depending on how things broke. And, you know, it's just, they're not, they just don't have the the guns, so to speak, to hang in, I think, with a game like uh, with UCF on Saturday. I agree. I think it's going to be a tough one. Hopefully they make it uh, competitive and show that they're taking another step against the team that's in the top 25. We saw them up their level uh, of play against a good Michigan team. Hopefully we see them do that again uh, on Saturday night against uh, UCF. Other than that, first day of basketball practice is in the books. I left at three hours, and they were still going, and they still had quite a ways to go. So uh, coaches – Getting on them. <laughs> 40, 41 and 0, right? Uh, well, they only play 40. If they're 41 and 0, oh. uh, they played an illegal oh, game. 40. Okay. <laughs> I like the makeup of this team. I like where they're at. Uh, I thought, you know, it, it, it was it was good to see the the full. You know, the the nice part is I think they've got 12 guys that that can play, um, and. It, it's going to be competitive. It's going to be physical. Uh, Berg and I touched on a lot of that last night, so go back and check out the uh, the basketball podcast that we did last night as well. But um, I think they're in a good spot, and hopefully it's a, a very good season for Mick Cronin and his Bear, Bearcat basketball team uh, over at BB&T Arena. Yes. So, Here's to everyone uh, staying any- healthy. Yes. Uh, anything else? I don't believe so. All right. Thanks to Shane Kenny for joining us to talk a little bit of recruiting. Extra special thanks to Tony Pike. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I, I love hearing some insight on some of that stuff, uh, the, the game at Pittsburgh and the, and the banquet and his meeting with Brian Kelly where they told him, if you don't move up that depth chart, you're, we'll honor your scholarship, but you're off the football team for a guy that ended up leading, helped lead them to, to two BCS Bowls. It's just it's one of those you know, those stories about college football of, you know, a guy that, that takes advantage of his opportunity, and Tony did exactly that. So uh, just really cool stuff to hear from Tony, and a special thanks to him to coming on 
Uh, as always, a special thanks to you, Mr. Oh, Stone. You're, you're very welcome. Are, are we going to talk about our, the tailgate this week? Uh, sure. What's your uh, What's the plan well, this week? Well, the plan this week, it is my birthday weekend tailgate. So it is Italian-themed, for all those wondering. We'll be having all of the great Italian fare. And with the weather, again, looking like uh, ideal beer drinking weather, it should be a lovely day on top of the campus green garage. Did you go over or under last week on 10.5? You know, I, I probably, I think I probably went under a little bit. A little, a little. Pr- well, if you go under on your birthday weekend, I'm I'm going to be disappointed. I'll set it at ten point five again. I probably should set it at eleven point five just because it's your birthday weekend. But I'll go ten point five, and because it's your birthday weekend, I'll well, go. See, that, here's the thing, though. You got to take into account is it's an eight o'clock kick, so you get an extra hour. I do. It's like daylight savings time. I'm gonna eat a lot because I've got all. Wait, that means you should be able to absorb more alcohol. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. And I have a big, big Friday <laughs> night dinner, too. So I might have to, you know, uh, starve myself Saturday before the, before the game. But, you know. All right. Well, we're all counting on you. Oh, I'm sure we are. <laughs> we're all counting on you. <laughs> all right. That's going to wrap it up. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next week. It's the VCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.